Our gospel reading is found on page 1498 of your pew Bibles. And if you're able to rise for this reading of the gospel, we'll be in Matthew 2, 13 through 23. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gracious God, thank you for your love and thank you for all of the ways in which you connect with us through your word. Allow your word to enter into our heart. They would take root and would grow and that we would gain wisdom and meaning for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I use an expression every once in a while, and maybe you do too, and it's uh, the title of the message, Getting Out of Dodge. And I don't know how you use it, but usually when I use the expression, it means something like this. It, the, the days have been so full, or the weeks have been so full, or the month has been so full, that you just want to get your, give your mind a little bit of rest, and you want to get some new scenery, and you need to kind of break the routine. And, and so the expression, getting out of dodge. You don't want to take calls or anything like that. I think you all kind of get to points like that in, in our lives. And the phrase getting out of Dodge, however, became popular back in the 1960s. There was a film called Gunsmoke. Do you remember? And, and so it was used in a little bit different way. Uh, the, the getting out of Dodge part were, were really the bad guys that were asked to leave Dodge. See, uh, the Dodge City, Kansas was, was a, an area that had attracted some unsavory folk. And, and so the sheriff in town would come along and, and say, you've got to get out of Dodge. And, and so, so we've kind of taken on a little bit of a different meaning for that phrase right now. But if, if that's the case, if we were to go back to the original meaning of, of that, there's plenty of irony in the Christmas story. 
Those who are doing the getting are the wrong people, in my estimation. If anyone needs to get out of Dodge or Jerusalem, as is the case here, it needs to be Herod, not the Holy Family. It shouldn't be Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. They shouldn't be the ones getting. Why should God have to be the one getting out of Dodge? Is this a declaration of defeat? But people of power get a little touchy, and they get defensive when their power is called into question, especially by such people as Magi, who had earlier inquired as to the location of the newborn king. We're actually going to get to that story next week. How this must have raised the hackles of Herod to think that there was another king in town. Why, I'm the king. So according to Matthew, all these events play out just as the Old Testament prophets foretold. We discover in that encounter that it was foretold by the prophet Micah that Bethlehem would be the birthplace of this newborn king, and that is entirely the place where the Magi went. And how Herod's paranoia increased when the Magi did not return to him as was discussed and as was planned so that he may come and worship. Yeah, right. But he flew into a rage when those Magi did not return and called for what is known as the slaughter of the innocents. People of power sometimes do desperate things to protect their power. Feeling his political power slipping away, Herod lashes out in vain. And so once again, prophecy comes into play as Matthew refers to Jeremiah 31, verse 15. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, as the cries of anguish arise in Israel over such grievous oppression. Matthew draws our attention also to the events of Exodus 1, verses 15 through 22. Not so obviously, but just as Matthew tells the story, we begin to understand that, ah, yes, It rekindles that memory that Pharaoh also, also committed the same atrocity. For you see, for Matthew, Herod has become the new Pharaoh, something Matthew wants to impress upon his Jewish listeners and readers. Both Moses and Jesus are born under the threat of death. Both are guided by God's protective hand. Here is Jesus, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, getting out of Dodge, fleeing for life, again fulfilling the prophets of the Old Testament, this time Hosea 1, verse 11, going to Egypt. The escape is not for expediency. The move is not some accident in history. Scripture foresaw this entirely. For Matthew, it is important for Jesus to have experienced all these things so that he would fulfill every stitch of Old Testament prophecy. 
So though Hosea 11 verse 1 originally speaks about Israel, Matthew applies that verse to Jesus. Matthew focuses our thinking as to what we will know as the character of Christ, of his emptying, his becoming a suffering servant rather than a powerful earthly king. Jesus begins to identify with the suffering and the exiles of the world by becoming one. And this is vital for us to know. We have many exiles and refugees in the world. Millions upon millions of people across the face of this globe due to political, economic, agricultural, climatic reasons. It was no different throughout the pages of Scripture, the reasons why people move from point A to point B, needing to get out of Dodge. So many reasons for as long as humans have occupied earth. And so here, Egypt becomes the temporary home for Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And and that should be curious to us. The flight to Egypt in the name Joseph may trigger some more memories for us of how Old Testament Joseph was sold by his brothers and taken where? To Egypt. Egypt eventually provided a place of hope and refuge for his family during the famine that came upon Canaan. And and though that eventually led to a period of slavery, it also led in time to the great exodus, the benchmark experience for the Jewish community. And so Matthew is now declaring for us that Jesus will become the benchmark for freedom and salvation, not just for the Jewish community, but like the Exodus, for all of us, for all of humanity. So bring it on, Herod. Use whatever military, religious, or social pressures and resources you have. These only serve to demonstrate the oppressive structures from which Jesus will save us. In the meantime, God enlists unlikely people, magi, we'll learn more about them next week, Joseph and Mary, shepherds, Simeon and Anna, people of hardly any significance, foreigners, What use are they if we were to take on the attitude of Herod? Life after Christmas is not all that sweet, to be honest. Following the birth, there is jealousy and murder and weeping and wailing and moving and resettling. We become painfully aware that God's kingdom has not fully arrived. The peace on earth sung by the angels at Jesus' birth is followed by the actions of a selfish king. And how much more have we witnessed through the ages? But we have glimmers of hope and glimpses of holiness along the way. 
we're reassured that God is still at work, both in Bethlehem and in Egypt. Remember, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Take the child to Egypt. And again, identically, while in Egypt, it's time to go back. God, who came to Joseph in Bethlehem, does exactly the same thing in Egypt. God is with us, therefore, in Bethlehem or in Egypt. God is with us in Europe and Eurasia. God is with us in Africa and America. God is in every place. God is in out ahead of us. God is our comfort and our refuge no matter where. Hope comes. Hope comes as Mary and Joseph return to Egypt. As Joseph is told that those seeking the life of the child have died. The coast is clear for family to return home to Bethlehem. However, learning that Herod's son Archelaus, a chip off the old block if ever there was one, now ruled Judea, the family makes a new home in Nazareth. And yet again, Matthew points to a prophetic promise so that he will be called a Nazarene. How many times? Four, five times in this short story alone has Matthew referred not only to prophecy, but has given us that allusion to the events of the Exodus and Moses. Now, although no one can quite find that, prof- uh, that prophetic statement about Jesus being a Nazarene, Matthew is appealing to the prophets once again of Jesus' mission. It's neither coincidence nor the product of human effort, any one of this. Getting out of Dodge was only temporary, much like so many things in our lives. Only temporary. God is here. And God is hope. Matthew's faith is neither simple nor naive. The threats upon Jesus' life make us shudder. It might have been otherwise. It's all too real. All we have to do is turn on the news, open up the newspapers. Still, Matthew exudes hope in God's providence in spite of the ways of the world. We continue to witness evil and tyranny on news reports to this day, and neither should our faith be simple or naive, but be seasoned with wisdom, much like the Holy Family, and the certainty of God's providence and provision, and the openness to be listening to God's ways and his messages. So let me ask you this simple question. Where do you see God at work in your life? And don't be surprised because sometimes we mistake the moments. 
We may think that something is filled with danger and terror, and we need to get out of Dodge, but it might even be in moments like these in our lives where God's hand is most mightily shown. Where do you see God in your life? Where is hope for you? Even the getting out of Dodge moments, not a defeat at all, but a fulfillment for Jesus and evidence of God's presence. So, dear God, allow us to see your hand at work, no matter what is going on in our lives. Everything may be going beautifully. And we say, thank you, Lord. And maybe there are moments where everything is not as good as we think it could be. May we equally be prepared in moments like that to say, thank you, God. May we watch for your presence, ever hopeful for your leading, ever trusting in your care, ever knowing your love, ever celebrating your peace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.